We're going to uh, turn now to uh, Romans, and um, if you've uh, got your Bible, uh, turn to Romans chapter 9. We're going to try and finish this uh, this morning, and, uh, and then next week you'll be glad to hear we're moving on to the whole area of Christmas, and uh, our theme this year is The King is Coming, and I would encourage you to find out about our Christmas services and get excited about them and do invite others along to those. Uh, This morning, we're we're just going to try and wind up uh, the ideas that we find in Romans chapter 9 through 11 and some of the the key elements within that. Again, I apologize that we haven't got uh, PowerPoints in relation to this, but I, I just want to explore Paul's vision of outreach, if you like, because I think that's what we're reading in Romans chapter 9. You'll know if you've been following our series, Paul sees two parties that have come together, and in verses 1 through 5, he talks about the heritage of one of those, and, and, and uh, about the, the Jewish party, and, and he just talks about how, for Christ's sake, uh, the, the people of Israel have the, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs, and the ancestry of the Messiah, and all of this, this amazing heritage. And, and, and Paul lists this heritage, and then he was wanting to say, but God has now, remember the covenant that we saw, that old covenant? But now he's saying this covenant is kind of changing direction, and, and it's moving from being exclusive to those born into the Jewish race to a new reality uh, to those who are born by the Spirit into that covenant. So it's the same covenant, but it's going to change, and, and it's going to be this amazing a covenant that is no longer based on birth or genetics, but based on faith. And, and he's saying this is God's sovereign choice to bring everyone together. And, then, and so he's celebrating the fact that God in his freedom has done this. What, one of the amazing things about the church is it, it's, it's diversity. Uh, I got sent uh, an email from uh, Jennifer, who heads up our, our welcome team. Uh, and she just says, it's amazing how many really young people are, are coming from different nations. And uh, there was a period pre-COVID where we, we weren't really attracting students, but there's been lots of students been coming. And, and uh, they, they, they come from all different nations. And uh, she thought she would recommend it. In fact, she was saying some of them have been recommended by GPs. Others are things like Muslim taxi drivers that were told to come to our church that started coming along to our church. And she just wanted to list the nations. South Africa, South Korea, China, India, Nepal, Africa, especially Nigeria, Lebanon, Australia, Bulgaria, Romania, Brazil, and even the Amazon. And I added an and the Irish. And uh, an important group. And uh, and and that's all these people coming from all these different places to the church. And you know what's brilliant? Despite all the diversity of heritage, we had a a, a members' evening the other night, a couple of weeks ago, and we sat, and it was amazing. People were sharing. 
And, and, and some of them had grown up in Soviet countries. Others had grown up in countries which had apartheid. Others, sectarianism that had divided the different country. And, 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 and all of them were sitting there with all this experience and different heritage, bound together in a new people who had entered into this covenant by the Spirit of God and been reborn into that. And it is an amazing thing. The Church of Jesus Christ. I, in fact, there's nothing like it in the world that does this, that binds people together. And Paul is trying to share this vision. And, and although we understand this vision, because we've grown up with it, we've always understood it. For the people who first heard this, this was a new concept. Because people thought God's work was limited purely to the Jews. And, and, and Paul's saying, no, the Jews, they have this amazing heritage and everything. But now God is inviting those outside of this genetic people group into this covenant, into this heritage. It's not that he's replacing this heritage. It's not that he's getting rid of that heritage. But rather, he's inviting the world to share in that heritage. And, and you'll know if you read the Gospels, that was the heart of Jesus. It's probably what caused him to be killed. This message of universal in, uh, involvement that God is for the world and not just for a single people. But of course, especially if you were a Jew listening to Paul, it generates the question, is it fair? And, and you'll see as Paul goes on, uh, uh, he, he explains that... that um, God has sovereignly chosen to do this. And he uses that phrase, a very powerful phrase, where he, he says, you know, Esau I have hated and Jacob I have loved. And, 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 and he's saying God is free to love who he chooses to love. And, and then he says in uh, verse uh, 12, I think it is, uh, but is this fair? Is this fair? Sorry, uh, verse 14. But is this fair? And, and uh, you know, isn't this unjust that, that God has suddenly arbitrarily done this? And, and, uh, and, and Paul goes on to argue God can invite who he wants into his family. He, he says, Moses says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And then on verse 23 and 24. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? What he's saying is God has invited us. And then he says, you know, this was the plan all along. It's, it's not that God started and saying, oh, I'm going to do it this way. And then oh, I've changed my mind and I think I'll do it this way. And, you know, you, you, you know kids, if, if you tell them you're going to do things one way and then suddenly you change it. And it's, it's not fair. Uh, you change your plans. And, you know, that sense. Well, that's the sense. And what, what Paul is saying here is actually it was the plan all along. And he says, look at what Hosea says. He, he says, Hosea says this, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. He said, actually, it's there in the Old Testament. If you understand their working of the covenant, God blessed the Jews to be a blessing. 
so that the covenant would move from a small group of people to embrace the whole world. That's what he's saying there. And, and, and it's exciting because this morning, while you sit here, you are called children of the living God because of that covenant that God was working through his spirit. And, and it defines the church. Now, that's what Paul's talking about here in Romans 9, about this sovereign work and what God was ultimately doing. However, what's often happened with Romans chapter 9 is that people have chosen to read this in very narrow terms, in terms of individual salvation. So, so they, they kind of move it away from the big picture of the, how God is working out this covenant and how it was always going to be worked out to be embrace everyone. And they kind of understand it, well, it's talking about individual salvation. And, and they call this, it's given a big name, it's called the doctrine of grace. And once I describe it, you'll think, how did it get that name? Because we're not really sure how graceful it is. Uh, but, but it's called the doctrine of grace. And, and it basically says this. It says that God is just. Okay, we, we all agree with that proposition. It then moves from that proposition. It says, because God is just, he must punish sinners. And therefore, all people everywhere are deserving of condemnation and eternal damnation because of their sins, because of the choices, because they've chosen to reject God. Okay, you all got that? So everybody deserves the wrath of God. Everybody deserves hell. Okay, you, that's basically what you've earned. So if you, at the end of your life, you, you stand up and you say, what have I earned? You know, sometimes when I go to the petrol station, I earn points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I fill up enough, they'll give me 3p off. And it's exciting. It's, and you know, people are like, okay, well, what I'm going to do is, it's like, I've got my app on my phone, and every time I do good, I'll get a point, and every time I get do something bad, I'll get three minus points. And it's like, at the end of our lives, what's the app say? Uh, to borrow a phrase, you're gubbed, okay? <laughs> you deserve the judgment of God, okay? And if we are honest, and I know it's not modern and it's not popular, but that is the truth. You know, if we are honest and we evaluate our lives, even the most godly, ultimately, we fall so far short of what we should be and what God's called us to be. So actually, you know, this proposition is right. A just God rightly condemns the world. However, not everybody goes to hell. And, 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 uh, and that shows us that God is not only a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. And, uh, and, and, and they, they interpret Romans 9 as saying, that God is free to act and to show mercy. And, uh, and so God can choose from this group of people who are on their way to hell because of what they've done. God didn't send them to hell. They, through their actions, brought the judgment of God on themselves. That's a very important proposition, all right? God never sends anyone to hell. We, we do it all by ourselves. And uh, through the choices that we make. It says that God in his sovereignty then will choose some. And the fact that anyone ends up in heaven is a reflection of God's mercy and grace. Okay. You, you follow me? 
And, and, and they'll often use the analogy here of the potter that uh, Paul uses, where he says, you know, a potter can take a lump of clay and he can do with it as he pleases. And he can make vessels of wrath and he can make vessels of glory. You know, it's, it's, it's the potter's choice. And, and Paul says, you know, that that's what God is like in relation to us. Now, if you read the context, Paul's not talking about individual salvation. He's talking about this covenant with the Jews and the Gentiles. That's the context of Romans 9. But people apply this to individuals. And, and so they say God in his sovereignty uh, decided that he would save some people. And, and it then goes on to say that that decision of those who would be saved was determined before the world was created, okay? And uh, that's a big doctrine called predestination. Go to your home groups. You're going to have so much fun this week. Uh, that's called the doctrine of predestination. And uh, that before the world was, God decided he was going to be saved uh, uh, from this, and he was going to demonstrate his mercy. And, and, and people will often turn uh, to verse 18 of chapter 9, and it says, doesn't it say that? God has mercy in whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Doesn't it just say that? That that's what God does. And, uh, you know, and there is a reading of Romans that allows for that. Now, you'd be sad to hear we haven't got time to go into all of that this morning. <laughs> you can discuss it in your home groups. <laughs> However, there are some things I want to say about that. First of all, just a general comment, it's not actually the context of this passage. However, these ideas are certainly biblical and scriptural. Uh, and, and there are certain things that we have to affirm in relation to these doctrines of grace even if we don't buy into all of these frames. The first one is that no one can save themselves. Okay, there's a, there's a notion. In fact, it's not even a notion. I, I think you can call it a Christian heresy because I'm not sure you can have Christianity, certainly biblical Christianity, and believe that a person can save themselves. Right. Because we have chosen to reject God, because of the sin in our lives, it means that we are incapable of choosing God. Okay. Incapable. And, uh, and uh, so somebody doesn't wake up in the morning and go, oh, I think I'll be a Christian today. You know, that just doesn't happen. All right? If God doesn't act in a person's heart, someone will never, ever have that thought. You know, just left to their own devices. They will never have that thought. God has to save someone. And, and how's that happen? Well, it says that God sends his spirit, which takes someone that is dead, and his spirit works in them and breathes life into them and brings about the ability to allow us to respond to God. Does that make sense? So, so uh, theologically, sometimes people say, God's freedom gives us freedom. So God's freedom in that choice of exercising the Spirit allows us the freedom to respond to God. Without God's freedom, we don't have freedom. We don't have a choice to accept or reject God. We are in a state of judgment under God. 
And, uh, and so it requires, the Bible uses a big word here, or, or translations use a big word, divine election. But it means it's God's choice. God's, the Spirit of God needs to work in every person. So if you're a Christian, it's because the Spirit of God has started to work in your life and created an environment where then the Word of God can come and suddenly life comes. The, uh, Paul, in another letter, talks of creation, the beginning of all things. And, and it's like he's saying, you know, all the gases were there and everything was working together. And then suddenly the Word of God came which said, let there be light. And suddenly there was this explosion and light came. But all the gases and things that caused the explosion is like the work of the Spirit in our life, preparing us for the Word of God to come, for that ignition to be there so that we become Christians. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so uh, there must be a, an election of God. There must be a work of the Spirit for someone to be a Christian. Now, what happens when people resist the work of that spirit? When the word of God comes, when the spirit of God is working in a person's life, and they say, no, we don't want it. We don't want what God's doing. Paul uses the illustration of the Pharaoh. Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Moses says, God wants the people to go. And, and, and so he's heard the word of the God, the spirit is there, and Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting them go. He's resisting the spirit. And, and the second time, Moses does the same. He says, no, I'm not letting them go. Resist the spirit. So Moses goes again. No, I'm not letting them go. Resist the spirit. Fourth time. No, I'm not letting them go. Resist the spirit. Fifth time, Pharaoh has no choice. There is no work of the spirit. Pharaoh is hard in his heart. In other words, he's in a state where God is not going to send his spirit to allow him to exercise freedom. Pharaoh has now made his bed, and he has to lie in it. In other words, he's chosen his destiny through his resistance to the work of the Spirit, and now there is no hope for Pharaoh to recant on where he got to. Scary place, scary thing to resist the work of the Spirit. You will hear it over and over again. Paul talks about this state of hardness of heart. And what he's saying is, some of the Jews have heard the word and they have hardened their hearts. Now there's a remnant, you know, some have responded to the Spirit of God and, and he talks about them and he says, we're, you know, we're forming this new reality, but some have hardened their heart. And what God has done is he said, you know what? That's actually the state you're going to be in. You ever talk to someone and you know that no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter how reasonable you are, this is like talking to four-year-olds, um, they are not going to respond. It's just not going to happen. I, I, I never get, I'm glad I'm not a parent these days, but you know, I, I never get how you rationalize with a three-year-old tantruming. Maybe modern parents can do it. <laughs> no, this is unacceptable behavior. No, really? <laughs> you can tell me, Mark. No, <laughs> but, but you know, it's, it's, it's like here, here's the situation where actually God is, see if somebody's heart is hardened, where they no longer have the capacity to recant and change, and that state comes because they have resisted the work of God in their life so that God has got to that point of judgment. It's a terrifying thing. I used to work in Amsterdam a long, long time ago, with, and we were working in the red light district. 
And, and there were prostitutes who uh, came into to the center. We were trying to support sex workers. And, and, and what would happen, there was one particular person who was very open to the gospel, but she would kind of come into the center and, and kind of get fixed up and then get support. And then she would go back to her pimp and then get back onto drugs and it would just be all messy again. And then it would get really bad after two or three weeks and she'd come back. We'd fix her up and send her back out onto the street. She'd get fixed, all messed up, come back, fixed up. And somebody said, do you know what? We're facilitating and helping her in terms of lifestyle. Do you know? Oh, okay, that's an interesting. So there was a decision. Don't know if they would ever do it today, but this is a long time ago. And, and the decision was taken. We can't let her back into the center. And I remember, you know, she came to the door of the center. And uh, I, I was sort of on duty. And she wanted in. And we weren't to let her in. And she was banging at the door and she was sobbing and weeping. And, crying. and I'll tell you, it was the worst place. You know, everything within me wanted to open that door. You know, this is the heart of God here. You see when somebody, when God hardens somebody's heart, his heart is breaking for them. It's not harsh, judgmental, angry God. It's a God who's breaking for them. And, you know, I, I sat there, and it was horrifying. I, you know, I vividly remember it to this day. And then eventually she went away, and she did it again. And, and again, we didn't open the door to her, and she went away. And this went on for several weeks. And then after several weeks, we felt it was right to again let her back. And she came to the door. She knocked and we opened the door. And this time, she came off the street, and she never went back. She eventually got married to an American pastor, and I think still in that situation, you know? And, and you were in, wow. And, and what Paul's saying is that's what God's heart is for the Jewish people. He's saying he's hardened their heart, and they're under judgment for a time, but the Spirit of God will again give them chance because God's heart breaks for those who have hardened their hearts. And you have to understand that. So, so, so what does all this, these ideas and this theology means that for us? Well, first of all, what it means is the Spirit of God is at work out there. And we have to go and tell them about Jesus because that's how it works. So the Spirit of God is preparing the gown, the gases. Are there, and then we have to go and speak. After, after church, I go to unorthodox uh, coffee shop. I'm giving them free publicity. Coffee shop around the corner. And uh, I went in, usually I'm like ready to chill because you know, it's been a busy morning. I sit down, just sitting there drinking my coffee. And, and the guys that work in there, they know me and suddenly they're all chatting to me. One of them last week said, so what were you talking about? I went, oh, we're talking about debt. And they go, no, no, what, what book of the Bible are you studying? And I'm like, what? And, uh, oh, okay, let's talk about this. And then another one, I used to be a Catholic. What do you do in your church? What do you? And I'm like, what's going on here? I'm meant to be on downtime, you know? And, uh, so, and then suddenly I'm realizing, you know what? The Spirit of God isn't working unorthodox in these guys. And, and Paul says in Romans 10, they need a preacher. <laughs> How is the election of God going to work unless you tell them? So that the Spirit of God joins with the Word of God, and they're brought into this new covenantal reality. So I'm saying to them, hey, guys, we've got Christmas services. Hey, can I give you posters to stick up? And then I'm saying, you know, why don't you come over one day, and we can go out, and I'll show you around the church, tell you all about what we do and what we believe, and maybe we can get a coffee together. And, uh, and, and suddenly I'm working with God. So it's not like, oh, go out and evangelize. God's at work there. You see, he's preparing people. There are people being prepared for Christmas. We need to just go and tell them. But here's the second thing that sometimes happens. You know, sometimes you share, and, and, and sometimes this happens with family members. I was talking to a family member, and, and I was trying to say, 
hey, you'll have to decide a really good church. Why don't you go along? You know, we might enjoy it, blah, blah, blah. And it's, no, no, no. And I thought, well, nobody ever listens to me anyway. <laughs> but but, but then, then I also began to think, you know, sometimes you've you got to recognize there's a hardness of heart. You know, people aren't going to be receptive here. And, and, and you know what you have to do in those scenarios where there's a hardness of heart, where actually no matter what you say or do is going to change someone or change where they are, you have to go and pray. And this is why you pray when you spread the word, because you pray to create the environment so God's spirit and his spirit will go out and work before you. And then when you bring the word, you'll see something happen because God's at work. So it drives us to bring the gospel and to pray. And, and there's no point inviting people or speaking to your family or your friends and then sharing something of your faith. No, there's no response. Do you know what you do when that happens? You go and pray. There are women in this church who had husbands that were resistant to the gospel for almost 20 years and they prayed diligently for them. And you know what happens? God's spirit is sent again. The hardness of heart relents. The word of God comes and they enter into the covenant that God has for them and the relationship that he wants for every single individual. And, and, and you know, and what we do is we give up. You know, if I'm honest, sometimes I, I, when I get resistant by my family, I just get discouraged. You know, what a rubbish parent. I have them going saying, Father, God, show mercy. God, I know your heart's like my heart. I know your heart is breaking for those who have hardened their hearts against you. And I know you, you want to send your spirit to do a new thing. So God, please come and work. And you know, so I just want to finish this by saying that the spirit of God is doing a new thing. The spirit of God is working. And we are called to follow the spirit. And the way you do that is you share your faith. And then when you encounter hardness of heart, because people resist what God wants to do in their lives, you go away and you pray earnestly. And that goes for individuals, it goes for our families, it goes for our communities, it goes for our nation. We pray, Lord, allow people to be open to your spirit and the calling of your name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the, the, the challenge of Romans. We, we thank you for Paul's teaching and the, the challenge that Paul has in terms of the work of the Spirit and in terms of seeing that Spirit bring new life to individuals. Lord, help us never to become arrogant. Help us never to realize, to think that it's about us and it's about what we do and we think and what we ultimately say. But Lord, help us to understand that it is about your calling, about election, about the work of your spirit in individuals. Lord, help us to be sensitive and responsive to that work. Lord, I pray for those who have hardened their hearts, maybe even this morning, who have hardened their hearts to you and are intransigent into what you're saying and what you want to do in them. Lord, I pray for mercy and I pray that you would pour out your spirit so that we would have soft hearts and realize the truth and the wonder of the message of Christmas. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen. <laughs>